HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The Line is sponsored by Pop Menu, which helps turn first-time guests into regulars for your restaurant. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash hrn. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a butter egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st slash hrn. Welcome to The Line on Heritage Radio. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. This is the second part of a special One Year Into COVID episode featuring voices of hospitality professionals. If you haven't heard part one, please go back and take a listen. On this episode, you'll hear from more people within the industry speaking in their own words about how COVID has affected their lives and businesses. All of the audio you'll hear was recorded from the last few weeks from the end of February until early March of 2021. First off, you'll hear Carolyn Schiff, pastry chef of Gage and Tolner in Brooklyn, New York. I thought our industry was really, really hard uh, before COVID. I didn't think it could get any harder. And um, it COVID made it so much more difficult. Um, I think the lack of support from our elected officials was um, heartbreaking and it was a slap in the face and um, incredibly painful. And I think that, um, well, it's unacceptable, you know, as the, the hospitality industry from you know, food, from diners to delis to fine dining, we are, I mean, you can fact check me on this, but I think we're like the largest employer uh, in New York state and probably in the country. Um, And so the fact that all of these people and all of these businesses were left with like no safety net to me is unacceptable. And um, then to be, especially in New York, what we're, we're being put through with, um, opening and closing and regulations for the outdoor spaces and all of this stuff to have kind of, you know, no support (laughs) Um, uh, from leadership with that and um, kind of be at their whim is um, 
really just so crappy. Um, and to, you know, then sort of task the restaurant industry with, um, helping bring back the economy and generate some tax dollars and, you know, bring people back to work, but not give us the tools to do it, um, effectively and safely is just, um, uh, it really shows how um, it really shows how our leadership, I mean, specifically Cuomo, um, how he values people who or and or I should say how he does not value people who work in the restaurant industry and in the hospitality industry. And um, it's. It was very, very heartbreaking to know that overnight um, so many people that I work with were left with absolutely nothing. And um, on a more positive note, the silver lining is that I've just seen um, how incredibly resilient and creative uh, our whole community is, how all of these cooks and chefs and bartenders and servers and managers and I mean, people overnight, you know, they like lost everything. And to see how people have figured out how to still like work and serve their community through this, through pop-ups and, um, through fundraising and, and bake sales and all of this stuff. I mean, um, you know, I knew that chefs were and, and food people, restaurant people, I knew how like resourceful we were, but kind of seeing what everybody's like done with this, um, is incredibly inspiring. And I think that when we do come out of this, there's going to be, all of these amazing, cool new businesses, and I'm so excited for it. And, um, you know, I just hope that our local government can uh, really make some moves to support and nurture those businesses because it's going to make New York even better. Next, you'll hear from Patrick Miller, a chef that left his job running restaurants to open his own beverage company, Faccio Bruto Spirits, which he launched at the beginning of COVID. I started at the beginning of COVID. I started in end of March, early April. So I've only known um, COVID restrictions, uh, COVID accounts, um, and all the kind of strange, difficult things that come along with that, which is to say, um, just not, in, not getting to distribute my product to as many people as I'd like um, via, I mean, restaurants mainly. Um, you know, as soon as I opened, uh, restaurants shut down, bars shut down. The only things that were open were retail shops. And so, you know, all the retail shops were doubling down on uh, the brands that they had known and the brands they knew that people were going to buy. So just trying to get accounts at the very beginning was incredibly difficult. Um, there were, you know, three places that carried me. 
and it slowly, you know, spread from there via word of mouth or, you know, just like hitting the pavement as best I could because, I mean, it was like, that was the time where it felt like if you stepped outside, you were going to get hit with it. Um, so yeah, I mean, the first, this first year, um, it's actually a year coming up, uh, in a, in a week or so. Wow. Um, so yeah, things have improved over the last year, mainly because, you know, just getting the word out via, uh, the internet. Um, and I feel like the city, you know, uh, so far has embraced what I've got to offer, which is amazing. You know, I, it was really touch and go for a second. Um, and I think that things really picked up when I was, I was picked up by a distributor, T Edwards. So they just have a much bigger reach. You know, they have delivery trucks instead of a, you know, a car and a, and a hand truck. Uh, they have reps. I just had myself. So it, it really saved my business. Um, I am so fortunate that, uh, I did not have to, you know, close or, you know, dip into my savings to save the business. And then like, who knows how much money I'd have to live off of. Um, I, and as far as that goes, I I really feel like the government kind of let, let everybody down. Um, you know, Cuomo started out as a hero. I think people really, looked at his response and were like, oh, this guy's great. I mean, when you compare him to, you know, the fucking orange turd, it, it makes, it's easy to have somebody look good. But, you know, I think uh, we've all kind of, before that and since then, we've, we know his true colors. We know who Cuomo really is. I, I, I feel like they've, there's been so many blunders with um, opening restaurants for indoor dining, allowing restaurants to have a certain capacity people, um, you know, getting them the financial support they need, which, I mean, frankly, they haven't, right? We all know this. Um, I think the government also has, has been completely useless in that regard too, you know? Um, they've given money away to people who don't need it, to um, companies that don't need it. And, you know, meanwhile, small restaurants like, you know, the one I used to work at in Brooklyn, I mean, they're they're still trucking, but you know, they had to shut down for a couple weeks because one of their staff members got infected with COVID. Uh, and it's happening to, you know, it's happening to more and more places right now. Um, they just aren't getting the financial assistance they need. Uh, and I, I, I think, you know, to end, I, I really hope that somehow we are able to get somebody in the government to send grants to small businesses you know, namely restaurants, um, who are really in need of it, you know, like, cause let's be honest, a lot of the, the big name chefs with larger empires, like, sure, if they close like one or two restaurants, not a big deal, but you know, for people that only have one restaurant, two restaurants, if they have to close one or two, I mean, that's everything, right? So I just, I sincerely hope that somehow we can get somebody to get our message to the government that they they really need to step up um they can bail out airlines you know they can bail out restaurants hi this is trina and jessica quinn from a pop-up called dacha and uh we are located in bedsty brooklyn from our fourth floor walk up (laughs) 
Um, yeah, uh, we started this pop up about five months ago. Yep. And uh, I don't know, we both uh, didn't have jobs. Uh, we were let go slash quit. I quit. <laughs> I quit and also got <laughs> let go. Um, but yeah, we had just been postponing, you know, our, you know, hopes and dreams when, you know, you're working in the kitchen for somebody else for about 14 hours a day plus. And uh, we're like, you know what? Why don't we cook some of the food we love cooking? And uh, it is actually Jess's background, which is Latvian Ukrainian and uh, my favorite food in the world. So it actually worked out pretty easily to just start cooking the food we actually love to eat and love to cook. Yeah, I think when the pop-up started, um, or not really when the pop-up started, but when the pandemic and lockdown started, everyone was turning towards comfort food. Um, and we noticed a trend kind of appearing in our household and we were just cooking a lot of Eastern European food because that's what kind of brought us solace and comfort. And, uh, I think Trina was the one that came up with the idea that she was just like, if this is the food that's bringing us comfort and joy in a time of uncertainty, you know, she was like, I think that this food would bring those same sort of moments of joy to other people and so dacha kind of was born out of that but we had our first pop-up back in october um and people showed up and they showed up at our apartment (laughs) and they ordered food from two people that they didn't know who they you know they knew that we were chefs obviously from restaurants but you know, there was, you know, this immediate sort of excitement and just a very good reception from our neighborhood and colleagues in the industry. And I think that every single week since, you know, it's gotten busier and we have regulars and it's just been something that's been pushing us to just keep growing and doing it. And sort of showing us that there's a longevity and future to this dream that we decided to embark on. We've also been just incredibly lucky and fortunate to have, you know, friends that maybe we didn't know in real life, but through social media, um, we've gotten to know better. Um, but, you know, friends like Eric C., who owns Ursula, or Libby Willis, one of the former owners of Mimi's Diner, uh, just kind of very graciously open their doors to us to sort of help us reach a new audience and, you know, kind of just give us another home base. And, you know, for for two chefs who don't have, you know, a kitchen or who haven't had a kitchen for so long, you know, to have friends open up, you know, their homes and their kitchens to us has been, you know, something that, you know, I think has meant a lot to both of us. And I think if anything, this year is kind of showing us that through a sense of community, we're, you know, we're going to change the, you know, how food is produced and how we hold people accountable in restaurants and everything that kind of failed us as a community, you know, with working in different kinds of restaurants, I guess, I don't know how to say it, just we need that support and it was it was very evident that it was lacking not only the government but you know 
just like in our establishments. Yeah, I mean, the general makeup of the restaurant model is flawed, and I think everyone who's worked in the industry knows it's flawed, but when you're working, you know, five or six, you know, like 14-hour days, I think what the industry has had working in its favor for so long is that you can't be a social justice warrior when you're exhausted and you're burnt out. And I think that this wave of slowing down because we haven't had the choice, everyone had to slow down when everything stopped. I think we were, you know, able to kind of get our heads out of our, you know, prep lists and, you know, this constant just, you know, exhaustion to take a moment and look at where the cracks were and to sort of maybe make a game plan of how we can fix it and where do we go from here. And, you know, it'll take time, but we're on the right track. Yeah, I mean... That's, I think, the hope for Dacha is to be able to produce that and lead by example. So we hope to keep cooking and, you know, be able to work with the community the more and more we grow. Sharing his thoughts next is Chef Brian Nouri from Madre in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. We have uh, three different outlets. You know, a uh, high-end um, neighborhood kind of fine dining restaurant. We have a very large event space um, focusing on weddings and, and, and corporate events. And then we have a smaller uh, like breakfast uh, kind of lunch spot inside one of the hotels. And we're building out another uh, as well. So business um, has been as up and down as my emotional state. But... You know, when we got closed down the first time in March, you know, we were turning a corner in a way that was going to be for us life-changing financially for um, our events and in our catering business. And then also um, for the Madre, our restaurant, we got a, a beautiful review in Forbes magazine, I mean, a really a love letter. So we were really flying. And then we got closed and we got closed and, you know, our, our events business was just stopped and our restaurant is not the kind of spot where, you know, you can just pivot to selling burgers takeaway um, and that be enough. You know, we, we attempted a marketplace with like fresh pastas and sauces, stocks, um, you know, different to-go items you could pre-order, you know, but it's a difficult thing, especially in Greenpoint. Um, you know, we're kind of off the beaten path and, you know, people being very concerned about how and where they're spending their money, um, financially just didn't make sense. So we closed completely. And then in June, uh, we reopened, um, the restaurant, we pivoted the rooftop into like a, you know, a larger, um, like cocktail lounge bar space. You know, we have this big, beautiful rooftop, um, that we can retract the roof. So, if, you know, it's completely open air and it felt incredibly safe and people could, could be distanced. Um, and that was incredibly beneficial. So um, we made those two moves and we were gangbusters. I mean, you know, we were 50 to 60% over our estimated um, weekly numbers. Um, we had found a way to pivot uh, our menus at the restaurants so that we were a little less touches, a little more cost effective. We're able to, to lower the prices a little bit. 
um, to make service faster. So I mean, we had to change our, our entire identity, quote unquote, um, because of the pandemic. But you know, we looked to, to outside influences from you know, some of the best restaurants and how they were handling the situation. And we adapted those to, to meet our own needs and it ended up being very, very fruitful. Um, we went hard all summer, you know, to save as much money as we could to keep the team employed as, as, as long as possible. Um, and just walking the tightrope every day, knowing that more so than ever, I mean, margins have always been you know, impossible, especially in a restaurant, you know, a small restaurant with amazing food at very cheap prices and not enough tables and too much staff. I mean, that's not a great business model. Um, but we pivoted and we were able to, to really make it happen. And we're so proud of the work and the team and the push, uh, added brunch, uh, and it just felt really, really great. And then, you know, as soon as the colder weather started coming in, you know, we had outfitted this, this sidewalk space. And that was the thing that was fortunate for us is that at the restaurant, we had 80 feet of frontage and sidewalk space which allowed us to put in two, you know, freestanding um, shelters that were, you know, well-built and well-insulated, um, but still felt very open, all, you know, all with windows, um, air circulation, moving fans. So you were just feeling you're eating alfresco. Um, but not a lot of people could do that. I mean, fuck, dude, Uncle Boone's went out of business, you know? And if it wasn't for the fact that we own the buildings, we would be completely fucked anyway. I mean, that was like the godsend, you know? Um, but the reality is, you know, you're working every day with a fucking gun pointed to your head because, you know, you're, you're in this middle of this political maelstrom and everyone's using this, this you know, disease or this virus as a fucking Trojan horse to, like, you know, move their political agendas and, like, we're just... Leaves in a fucking hurricane, man. Leaves in a hurricane. We're going to take a quick break. Stick with us here on Heritage Radio. We'll be right back. Restaurant owners know it can be almost impossible to keep everything up to date. Even making adjustments to the menu can be tough. That's why I'm happy to introduce Pop Menu, the restaurant tool to turn more first-time guests into regulars. Pop Menu is the full digital solution for independent restaurant owners, starting with a dynamic interactive menu that hooks your customers from the start and a mobile-friendly website design. It has automated marketing integrations that build long-lasting relationships with your guests. Pop Menu gives restaurateurs all the tools they need to put the focus back on what matters most, the people and the food. For me, this year, I've become a big user of contactless delivery. I personally love it when I can order directly from the restaurant rather than using a big third-party app because that means more support goes directly to the restaurant. If you're relying on third-party apps, consider switching to Pop Menu. Trust me, if you're a restaurant owner, you need Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com hrn. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash hrn.
This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based customers into your doors with easy to use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st/hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st/hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and french toast. There's also frozen, pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres called Just Egg mind-blowing. And Bon Appetit says, so good, I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st/hrn. Welcome back to this COVID one year in special episode of The Line. The next voice you'll hear is Chef Kiki Luya who left all of her Detroit-based restaurants and food businesses in the first week of March, right before the pandemic truly took hold in the United States. Hi, my name is Kiki Luya. I am a former chef owner of Folk, the Farmer's Hand, and Nest Egg Detroit Hospitality Group, all of which are located in Detroit. Um, In 2020, it was a really interesting year, I think, for the entire industry, myself included, The year actually kicked off in January with me announcing to all of my businesses that I would be leaving. And I was leaving for reasons that had nothing to do with COVID because the fact of the matter was is that while COVID was likely present um, in the US and in Detroit, um, restaurants had not been hit yet um, and it was not nearly what the global pandemic turned out to be. Um, We finalized that paperwork though in March of 2020 about a week before um, the restaurants closed down um, for what some thought would be indefinitely. And at that point, um, it, my feelings were really strange. It was um, a lot of people were saying, wow, look at you, you got out just in time. How did you figure out that timing? Um, which, you know, perhaps that's true. Um, but at the same time, I did feel an immense amount of guilt um, while I knew that I was leaving for reasons that were um, deeply personal um, and also uh, incredibly necessary for me, Um, reasons that had to do with um, my partners and I no longer were mission aligned. Um, There were parts of the business that they were moving forward with that I didn't feel comfortable with. Um, even though I was a chef owner, I felt like the one squeaky wheel, um, the, the voice in the corner kind of shouting for things that I thought, um, you know, would, would not only improve, um, our business and our business operations, but also improve our relationship with the communities with which we existed in, um, which is Detroit, my hometown. Again, nothing at all to do with the looming global pandemic, but at the time that the pandemic did hit and I saw all the restaurants close, the guilt that I felt 
had more to do with the fact that, wow, my industry is struggling and I am no longer a part of it, or at least I felt like I wasn't a part of it. I didn't really know how to help, um, but I decided I just needed to spring into action. And some of the work that I had been doing was in um, economic development. I very much believe that in the same way that food um, has ties to the community and, and can connect people, I also believe that when we talk about equitable food systems and food models, all of which are of extreme importance to me, I also think that we need to talk about what equitable development actually is. Equitable development meaning if my business is located um, in a property that, say, a slumlord owns, um, all of those, that model, um, that inequity is going to then filter down into my own business practices. And so when we look at um, an equitable food system, a just food system, we have to look at every single aspect of that, from the way that we treat our farmers to our workers to um, ourselves to our communities um, that we exist within to the buildings, right? Um, it's all about those relationships. So because I already had, um, you know, done some work in, in, that, um, in that industry, I decided to kind of take my knowledge of community development um, and start to engage with foundations, um, with a nonprofit um, that exists within my own community. Um, and through that, I began to kind of have conversations and work with this um, nonprofit group, this development corporation, that essentially was how can we figure out how to give small businesses relief and what kind of relief do they need, right? Is it just, I need some money to pay my staff, right? Is it PPP? Do they have all the information they need about PPP? And if not, how do we, how do we get them that? And I think from March until, gosh, at least the fall, actually maybe until, you know, December or even January of 2021, it was just, it was action. Um, I spoke with any and every funder that I could to talk about um, why small businesses need money to survive, how COVID is going to impact them. And, and to the one point that I wanted to make more than anything was that some of the relief funding that was coming through seemed to be a Band-Aid. It was, here's you know a $5,000 grant. And really, what is $5,000 going to do? Maybe you can pay your rent for a month, um, maybe you know a few other bills if you're lucky, um, and that's it. But the effects of COVID on the small business community, at least in Detroit, I know across the country as well, are, are long lasting. Um, it's long lasting as far as how you know our workers are kind of being thrown into um, unemployment. Uh, they're being furloughed and then asked to come back when the rest of um, the 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 states decide to open back up at a certain capacity. Um, it it becomes this um, it becomes just a small a small solution. And so I really tried to advocate as much as I could for a bigger solution. So we know now that we're a year into COVID that there are businesses that did not survive or are not going to survive. It was a very, very difficult year for small business and the restaurant community in general, right? But because of that, how do we then strengthen the businesses that exist and that kind of make, um, they're, they're staples in the neighborhood. Um, they maybe are... Um, 
you know, family-owned restaurants that have been owned for generations, right? You, you can't even imagine a community without that restaurant sitting there. How do we then make sure that those restaurants can sustain this um, for the long haul and, and can support um, themselves to the next generation and beyond? And so really my role um, then became, instead of working in the restaurants to figure out how to sustain business operations, it was how do I work with different stakeholders to provide the support that's necessary and needed with, with the lens of I was a former restaurant owner, right? I was a, I am a chef. And so I understand kind of the inner workings of the business and what they need by talking to all of my peers who are also in the industry. And how do I then figure out how to get support, even technical assistance um, to them? Some of them, for example, needed different POS systems. Can we provide funding for that? Some of them maybe needed training. How can we figure out that? How can we do it remotely? Can we provide webinars? How do we figure out how to um, you know, put investment dollars towards better websites so that they can actually support e-commerce platforms? All of those things, I think, are, are just as beneficial um, to the restaurant community um, because it is about helping them sustain themselves beyond this um, global pandemic and really into the future. And I think that those kind of support services don't need to stop just um, because more people, for, for example, are vaccinated. Um, so for me, I really saw myself stepping um, into an even even bigger shoes of advocacy. It was always advocacy was always very important to me and is very important to me in food. I believe that food is political. Um, it's very difficult to tell me otherwise. Um, but I think that it really took me stepping away from my restaurants to understand how important advocacy really is for me in the food industry, um, how I can use my voice in order to create change and impact. Um, and how all of those things are also um, to the benefit, hopefully, um, of an industry that I love so, so, so deeply. Hi, my name is Lisa Ludwinski, and I'm the owner of Sister Pie, a bakery in Detroit's West Village. We immediately, almost immediately, went from a team of I think it was 15 employees to a team of three, um, and most of our employees went on unemployment with the, I don't know if I could say promise, but with the idea that we would be bringing them back to work once we potentially got funding for that. And so we first operated as a grocery store, um, but not the kind of grocery store that you can walk around in. Uh, the idea was that we had access to lots of different foods, whether it's fresh foods uh, like produce and, and dairy or even just flours and sugar, um, dried beans. And the idea was our neighbors could walk to Sister Pie and not have to be concerned with going to the grocery store, which I think for a lot of people was the one place that they, it was hard to avoid going to the grocery store. and so. We sold a lot of grocery staples. The only thing that we didn't sell anymore were like cookies and pie. It was a popular thing in the neighborhood and I felt the support from the neighborhood, but it also felt kind of like this mutual support that I hadn't really felt before. Like in the past, I've always thought of the business as like, okay, well, I'm so grateful for the fact that people in our neighborhood are coming to Sister Pie and buying pie and cookies. But at this point it was like, we kind of needed each other. Um, and that felt like a really powerful 
kind of signal to me of how important being in touch with and kind of serving your community can be. Um, a lot of times it, it seems like something that you sort of just think of as like a fluffy, good feeling. But as the pandemic hit, it became clear that that was a very real need we had was to be able to have that support. And I, I know too that we already kind of started from a, a place that was better than I think a sit down restaurant or really a, a restaurant of any kind because we were already so set up for people to take food away so that once we did transition into baking again and we brought our employees back, it was a little bit smoother for us to have customers just come up to the sidewalk sale and order something and leave. And so I guess I'm just grateful for the fact that that was the business model that we were working with um, and didn't have to kind of even consider whether or not we would open indoor dining up in any way. I became more of a workers' rights type boss this year than I had been before. I think in the past, again, it was something that I we would say as a business and we felt, but I think this year really caused us to put our money where our mouth was. And I hope that that's the case for other businesses, but also for consumers and just the way that we view food and food manufacturers and servers and bakers and all of the people, farmers, everyone who works in some sort of food job. Um, I think it. there's so many people who are kind of involved in, in, in righting those wrongs. And it's me as a business owner, it's people who are voting, it's people who are going to restaurants. And it's not just about one person making a change, it's about everyone having a different perspective on how food businesses work and how food is made and what that entails and valuing different types of work. Um, our business is looking to become worker owned. So we're going to be spending the next year exploring that. And that is something that has come, that has been on my mind for a long time, but experiencing the pandemic made it even more pressing for me to work toward running a business that is rooted in equity and opportunity. And that's a big takeaway for me. A huge thanks to everyone that contributed audio for this project. It's a lot to ask to sit down and try to encapsulate a year of your life into an audio clip. So thank you for your honesty and for taking time out of your busy lives to share your stories with me and all the Heritage Radio Network listeners. If you are a hospitality worker and want to talk about your time working or not working during the past year during COVID, please feel free to get in contact with me via email. My email is theline at heritageradionetwork.org. If you want to hear more chef and hospitality industry interviews about personal experiences during COVID, you can search for The Line on Spotify or iTunes podcasts and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss new episodes as they go live. I'm Eli Sussman. Thank you so much for listening. The line is powered by Simplecast. 
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.